0: Welcome to Drone Business Talk, the show where we discuss the business of unmanned aviation. Find out about the latest drone applications and trends as we talk to drone company CEOs, business owners,
1: pilots, and thought leaders to reveal the status of the drone industry. Here is your host, Tom Verbruggen. Hello, everyone, and welcome again to a very interesting session that we planned on the Drone Business Talk uh, podcast. Uh, today, I am joined by Kim James and Bertus van Zell. They are uh, the founders um, and managing director, director of Aerial Works in Centurion, uh, Gauteng, South Africa. Uh, Aerial Works is a service provider, but not only, they're not only a service provider, they provide so much more value. They have a lot of interesting concepts. We're going to talk about those. We're going to talk about women and drones. We're going to dive into uh, safety and drones. And then uh, there is really a nice scoop that uh, we will probably share with you as well. So uh, let's kick this one off. Uh, hi, Kim. Hi, Bertus. How are you guys doing? Hi
2: Tom. Hi Tom, very good to be on. Thanks so much for having us. This is very uh, exciting.
1: Yeah, it's exciting to have you to have you on the podcast. Really uh, um you have you 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 have so many variety of things going on in in the drone uh, in the drone sphere uh, that we want to talk about. So um I would say uh, let's kick it off. First of all, uh aerial works. Um can you tell us a little bit more uh how did you guys start? Uh, where are you now and uh, yeah. Tell us a story about Aerial Works.
0: So I so I take the interesting bit. So um uh, you y- you might know this, but Kim and myself we are also married and uh she she didn't like the Fansal surname, so she kept her surname. Um <laughs> wanted to sound more English. But so when we came back from Dubai, um, We needed to, uh, well, not needed to, but we wanted to um, start a business in South Africa where it's still young, it's still new, and and it's a happening thing in my background as an electronics engineer, software developer, and my passion for aviation. I've been flying for 30 years, um, manned aircraft. Um, So when I saw that the drone industry was getting regulated in 2015, uh, that's really where the idea came to B and and we incorporated the company in 2017, and uh, the name Aerial Works is just something that came up after a glass of wine. So.
1: Yeah, because uh, as you told me, uh, good ideas never start with a salad. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly.
2: But I, I also think you know the the idea for the drone business came about as Baptist said, you know, his passion for flying. He wanted something that was going to be something that would keep him as an entrepreneur, you know, interested um, and combining it with the passion means you're never going to work a day in your life. Right. Then we were thinking of, you know, solving a real problem um, which uh, kind of came up with the, with the drone security idea because in South Africa crime is high and we might touch on that later. Um, But also, you know, that kind of, highly technical thing that about just mentioned around the software and the, and the, you know, kind of uh, engineering parts, all of that together was, was just a a perfect blend. And the benefit at the time was that it had a real high barrier to entry. So, you know, you really needed to have a little bit of mouse and patience and, you know, we, we didn't know all of that, that we do know now, but all of that seemed the perfect combination and the rest is history
1: yeah it, I remember those days. 2015 uh, 2015 was the, was the time that, that drones um, were kind of like the new, the new thing. It was, it was starting to get a hype, and then you really had that new hardware technology software. This is also why we started in 2015. Uh, I think we, we, we also saw that it was, the aviation industry was going to be disrupted somehow. So, um, yeah, we saw that promise as well. Uh, Did did that promise fulfill so far? Or did you think it was going to go a bit faster, this this drone industry?
0: I think we thought it would be a lot faster. It Mm -hmm. took us two and a half years just to get the licenses. Mm -hmm. In South Africa, the process of getting a drone operating certificate is exactly the same as starting an airline. So you have to get uh, permission from the Air Services Licensing Council, which is the Department of Transport branch. Then the CIA. Two and a half years later, and you have to have three post holders, and these are expensive people like us potentially. So you know, cost many millions of rands to start this business. Yeah, and it took a lot longer than we thought.
1: Yeah. So what I kind of so, uh, sorry,
0: yeah.
2: I was just going to say, um, I think the the yeah. The kind of summary of why we thought it would be faster and why maybe it hasn't been faster is because the cost of compliance is of course high, number one. Number two, the cost of the technology is still high, right? Because with our regulations in South Africa in particular, um, you, you, you need to have the drone pilot, which is also an expense to actually get licensed. We operate in two-man crews generally. So you've got your people costs. Your technology is still quite high, right, if you're wanting to use the right equipment for the right job. Um, So oftentimes, you know, if we're using a thermal camera, high-spec thermal camera, that costs as much as the actual drone costs, um, if not more. And, of course, the cost of compliance, as I said. So the, the appetite on the part of the end user is there. But affordability often isn't.
1: Yes. So
2: that's why it's taken longer because you know you really have it's not everyone who can afford the uh,
1: service. Yeah, you say that the preliminary overhead cost in order to get started is already very high, and uh, and that's often not seen into the entire business model. The business model often takes into account I need a drone and maybe I need a training as a pilot, but. A lot of people do forget that it takes a while to set up procedures to to find them out and, and like you said, to hire the, the, the right profiles as post holders. Mm-hmm. Um, so Aerial Works, what kind of services do you provide as a, as a service provider?
2: Sure. Yeah, you go. Yeah. So, you know, you, you said in your intro, Tom, and quite flatteringly, and, and thank you mm-hmm. for that, that we do many, many things at the beginning, we said we we don't want to do everything because people phoned us and said, "Can you do anti-poaching for you know rhino protection? Can you do wedding photography? Can you do?" And so we kind of said, "You know, we really need to specialize in 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 some things. We we don't want to do everything." And and I think um, even though we do quite a few things, the the things we like doing and where we've actually become well-known for or what we've become well-known for and, and that we really like doing is um, we do a lot of inspections for, secure, uh, for um, insurance companies. But uh, the, the service we offer there is around pre- and post-loss assessment. So roof inspections, um, 3D models, which essentially create digital twins for underwriters to have a really good idea of what they're actually insuring. Yeah. So, um, from a technical perspective, it's really around inspecting roof structures and and and, and using the different flights that we do uh, to put that through, you know, software to to get data out the other end, which is usable for insurance companies. Yeah. Um, we also do um, inspections and surveys for engineering companies. The idea of flying and using software is the same. It's just for them. It's about measurements, for example, and and project management, where they have kind of process um, and and progress uh, reporting uh, and, and things like that. So, so those are the two main
0: things. Mines for
2: yeah, and then you know any any large organisations like the mining um, industry, for example, where they do volumetric measurements, where all of that was done manually and took a long time previously. Um, you know, a lot of person hours, and and yeah. we can fly over, you know, a an area that's going to be blasted. Um, We then actually, these were quite a few recent projects we did, Mm -hmm. which are very cool. I know people have done it for a long time, but go and measure an area, video the actual explosion, and then then measure the the area afterwards. And so all of that then is for their their insurance purposes as well as their measurement purposes. So everything is around high accuracy. So really, it becomes less about flying the drone. It's really around the data that you can then provide, which is sometimes the the more difficult part, right? So you need computing power and you need people who know how to set up the cameras and then extract the data and analyze the data, et cetera. So, yeah, so those are the three things. And then, of course, we have our security brand um, under which we operate um, uh, under the name Drone Guards. We thought that was quite catchy, and uh, yeah, and that's where we do uh, s- security of of high value assets and and people. So yeah. we we operate there in uh, nature reserves and and residential areas and and commercial uh, estates, etc.
1: Yeah, and and as I as I understood it, drone guards is is, is based on a model. Where you do not necessarily fly yourself, but you install um, how to the call this um, filials, where they are actually people signing up to the concept. Really, really, right?
2: Yeah. So um, this kind franchise, of franchise, lead...
1: franchise, I should say, more instead no. of yeah. No no, 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 no,
2: not not really. The, oh. So the the idea Tom really came from the fact that. Um, and we touched on this earlier before before we, we went live, is really around the the security industry yeah. is going to be affected by drone technology. Of course. Because we do have the guard with the torch as we speak about it. Yeah. And it's not that the drone technology replaces anything, but the human element is the weakest chain. Yeah. In, it link in the security chain. And so oftentimes, you know, if a site has had 15 guards with torches to patrol at night, they might not need 15, they might need 10, or even less. And so the idea is that we have enabled that security company to operate legally, and that we train their individuals. And so the idea is that it Hasn't always worked perfectly, but the idea is that we maybe train their more um, experienced security people who have maybe got some technology experience working in the control room, and they become the drone pilots, yeah. and then you know yeah. the, the others move up in the ranks. Yeah. So you're not really displacing an entire workforce, which is what we foresaw at some point.
1: You're, so we've really
2: enabled the security companies to operate legally.
1: And you will you will in fact by this concept enhance the, the security uh, capabilities it's not only person with torch it's it's, it's becoming more uh, it's it's more data uh, more precise data as well uh, I understand yep. um, yeah that, that sounds effective. good and, um, it's highly
0: effective the guy with the torch can see just about nothing at night yeah the thermal cameras are really highly effective
1: yeah. <laughs> Hey Kim, um, before before we we of course chatted before, uh, and, and uh, you told me that you came out of you came out of a non aviation background, and now you are the post holder in, in safety, and and I've quite a big background in in safety as well, so I'm very intrigued by that. How did you how did you make that transition from um, from non aviation to aviation? How did that go?
2: Yeah, good question. So I worked in banking for my entire first career. I call it my first career because this is now my second career and, and it has become my passion, so I'm very fortunate. Um, and investment banking is a highly structured, highly regulated, or banking in, in general, um, environment. And I quite liked that part of it. I mean, it made our jobs difficult, but I always had this natural affinity to working in an environment of high control and governance. So when Baptist was talking about uh, starting this drone organization, this drone business, I kind of just, you know, fell into it by overhearing these discussions. And by the way, aviation always... Not always, but you know, since I've kind of um, been flying with him, I, I always thought that was quite sexy. You know, just that the whole the whole idea of aviation, I just thought was great. You, you, are, not, you was, are not saying, incorrect. How how <laughs> do you know how do you know if someone's a pilot?
1: Yeah, he will tell you. He will tell you.
2: <laughs> So you see, there's a reason. So I always thought that was quite attractive. And then when they said, oh, we need this post holder, we need someone to do safety, and I was like, what's that about? I was like, you know, this is about keeping us on the straight and narrow. This is around making sure we keep safe. This is around paperwork. This is around structure and closing the loops, you know, between having a safety management system and, and operationally keeping keeping the company um, legal, number one, but also safe. And I was like, well, there's a real – um connection there between having a uh structured approach to certain things and i just personality wise i think i i have this kind of risk management way of of dealing with you know and we have in fact our our um a partner in our business andre swat he is a uh ex-military man he worked in the south african Air Force for 25 years, he was the uh, commanding officer of of a squadron. He is just as, you know, safety aware and the the paperwork is in order and, and the approach to certain things. And he talks about this thing that says you cannot work in aviation or work in an environment where you have to be safe and hazard aware and whatever, and then get in your car and speed like a maniac home. That's that that kind of doesn't work, you know. You're either that way inclined or you're not, and I think yeah. I'm that way inclined. So I kind of put up my hand and I said, "Hey, you know, you need me," yeah. <laughs> and the rest I, is
1: history. <laughs> I can see, I can see that. I can, I, I can relate very much to what you say. It, it takes a, ter- a specific type of mindset, I, and I call it. That you're some kind of a problem spotter, where you where you become like very aware yeah. to see where the, the the deficiency is in a certain process, and you try to you try to uh, uh, correct that, and it it it's some kind of a it has to be in your DNA a bit, because um, I think that the challenges for a safety manager or a safety post holder, they are not just to fill fill the post. It's not just uh, just a cost for your company because. Yeah. You know the the saying that they say if you if you want to know how uh, expensive safety is, try an accident, and then uh, yeah. Yeah. so you exactly. try to not only prevent those, but you have also like a teaching role, I guess, in safety where you try to um, enhance the safety culture and the mindset of the people that work with you. Isn't yes. isn't that the biggest challenge in in when you talk about safety, not in a, in a whole, but as a safety? Isn't that to? Um, Sensitivize people into that uh, safety direction? Isn't that the biggest challenge?
2: 100%. I agree with you. Um, I think so, two things for sure. Um, oftentimes, I think in aviation, well, maybe not in commercial kind of airline operators, but let's say in the drone business or, or you know, kind of new aviation businesses. You, you have to have an entrepreneurial person leading this business right you've got to, you've got to have the patience you've got to have the finances you've got to find the finances you've got to figure out how to do stuff and and, and stay the course um, but then you've got this this uh, safety culture and this regulatory world which actually opposes the entrepreneurial world right so in our ROC, In our ops manual, in fact, we're sitting in our ops room right now, and there's like all the certificates you actually have to have up. Up there is a certificate that um, Baratis, as the accountable person, had to sign, which basically, or a policy and a statement, which basically says that he will ensure that he always puts the resources um, which obviously means resources physically and financially available yeah. to ensure the safety of this organization. Yep. Okay. So, so that's the one thing that I don't think people realize because sometimes you have to make a decision that says we're going to do this piece of business Yeah. Uh, or you have to negotiate a price or you have to negotiate terms or whatever it is. And then, you know, to, to make sure that anyone who's part of that implementation or part of that project is aware that within the framework of what we're doing, we are doing it safely for our client, for our teams, and, of course, for, you know, the, yeah, whatever the absolutely. aircraft is in the air. And, and I think repetition, 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 and examples. Yeah, so yeah, people yeah. say, oh, that's a hazard. You've told us that's a hazard. But, um, you know, we, we review when I say we, you know, Andrea and I do this and then we present it to our teams where we say every single hazard that's been identified through on-site risk assessments um, have been logged. And this is a very manual process and you want to stab yourself with a pencil in the eye most times because it's spreadsheeted. But we analyze them regularly and then we say, okay, at every single site, there's been a hazard identified, which is, you know, people not part of your operation or whatever. Yeah. So what does that mean? And so then you can teach and say, okay, this is a real thing. Here's an example of where someone literally stepped over your cordon tape and you were landing your drone. You know, how did that happen? Yeah. Don't 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 expect that the cordoning off tape is going to actually stop people because they're on their phones, they're on the headphones, and they don't have an idea of the risks. Yeah, it's and so it's, use examples to teach, and so you know there's that, but ongoing.
1: Yeah, it's it's sure. awareness and education, and as you said, there is uh, the the old uh, uh, the dilemma between protection and and production, the protection. Yeah. If you have if you want to have fully protection you stop flying because then you will never have an accident and Agreed. if you yeah. want if you want to have uh, um uh but then you then you go bankrupt that's the, that's the dilemma and if you have full uh view for selling without regard for safety you will have an accident and you will have the same result in the end so that's the that's the the fine line where you as a safety manager needs to walk uh between those two uh, fires, let's say, and uh, yes. but I, I'm very convinced that safety sells. You you can you can sell your business better, or you can sell your services better if you can prove to your customers that you're running a tight ship and very safe. Um, because in the end, it will cost less for them because your cost model will go down as you don't have accidents. So that's I yeah. think it's a very crucial role to play.
2: I, I agree with you. You you and I could probably have many, many, many hours of conversation about this. But,
1: yeah, you know,
2: so in our operation and, in fact, in uh, in an ROC in South Africa, so a remote uh, uh, operator, the safety officer has the right to cancel a mission. So I've never had to do that when I have been on site. But there have been times when, like, uh, you know, the client said they're going to cordon this off and now there's people and, you know, we, we don't really want to fly over these people. We, we have the permissions to do that, but they are not part of this operation and they are just there to have a great day, you know. So, and, and the, so you know, it's things like that where you, you suddenly go, am I wow? Well, am I going to stop this operation or can we mitigate further? So we may need to delay this flight and cordon off further or we may need to talk to these people that are loitering, um, in fact, it's so funny. I was on a, a women and drones, um, kind of webinar chat um, the other day and, um, we at safety actually came up and they said, okay, so who's got, you know, stories. And there was a guy who said, he flies on his own. He kind of, you know, has, has a one person show. And he says so many times he has people that come up to him and he's like, what are you, there? like, what are you doing here? Where you know now they're disturbing him because he's in he's in control of his drone, yeah. and now he has to try and explain that he's got permission to be there. He's got his license. His drone is licensed, and these people are now chatting with him, and they know better. And they now want to threaten him and what have you. Yeah. So very interesting how safety just plays into everything we do. That,
1: that's where you see that's where you see these t-shirts that people wear on the and on the back of the t-shirt it says, "It's a drone." Yes, yep. it's expensive. Uh, yes, I am. I am allowed to be here, and so it actually yeah. contains oh, the answers <laughs> yeah. uh, that people will ask anyway. So, um, yeah, you you, you just uh, started talking about women and drones. Uh, I, I I follow you on LinkedIn, and uh, you're you're a very uh, big advocate for um, women in this in this highly technolo- technological industry. Uh, wh- wh- what is women and drones about?
2: Um, yeah, so, uh, I, I inadvertently mentioned women and drones, but maybe because it's so much on my mind. Um, but then I'll also kind of tell you in the second part of my answer, you know, why I'm, I'm advocating it and how I do. Um, and it's not just because of, you know, women and gender stats and stuff like that, but, um, women and drones, I stumbled upon actually as a very nice resource, um, there's a, a woman called Sharon um, Rosmark who launched Women and Drones, which is an online platform. Um, you can you can maybe include the link for for your listeners when you when you publish this. Yep. And it's a it's a highly commercialised but really richly resourced platform, um, which encourages uh, young women and girls to embrace the technology, and Sharon herself, it's so cute actually, I get goosebumps when I think about it. She's written some storybooks and um, where the storybooks have changed the narrative, but also visually, um, you know, kind of everyday stories, but that include drones in the story, but also have girls flying the drones. And of course, you know, a diverse environment or what have you. but bringing science into it. So there's one book that's called something like the adventures of the drone and whale snot, you know, because there's this thing where scientists have started, um, you know, videoing or capturing whales, you know, and apparently that shows the health of a whale or I don't know, whatever there's this thing. So she's pulled it into a story. So anyway, so she does all of that and they have a weekly kind of chat chat Forum called Coffee Connections with Desi and Kim. And it's very cool. And lots of guys and girls dial in and they share stories and they have guest speakers. And anyway, so a very good friend of mine and a network kind of colleague in the industry, Louise Jupp, um, has launched Women and Drones Africa to bring in um, that platform into South Africa, but really to kind of have a a place for women to feel comfortable and share stories. And you have no idea, Tom, how many cool, um, very experienced, very um, highly educated um, women there are in Africa. So some of the flying labs um, in Africa are headed by women uh, we've had so we also have our weekly chats, but we call them fireside chat, you know, in the real African style.
1: Yeah.
2: And yeah, so every week we have our chats. In fact, we're having our next one um, tonight. And it's just a friendly forum where, where people share their experiences, they learn, they connect, they network. It's very cool. So it's just an hour a week and what have you. Um, but the reason why I think I'm so interested in the whole, you know, encouraging women in the in this industry is not only to have them there, because that's just a tick in the box. For me, when when I talk about it, it's about don't be there at the table or be a drone pilot or be part of a company because you're a woman and expect people to include you. Be there because you're there in your own right because of your technical ability or your knowledge or what you're bringing to the table. And your voice will be heard if you're saying something that makes sense. So make sure you get your arms around it and be there because you deserve to be there. And, you know, embrace the platforms that are there for you if you don't have the people flying your flag. Because there are people culturally in our country that... um, Find, you know, it's a challenge from their family perspective. For example, saying, Yo, "What? You're not yeah. going to go study engineering? You're going to go fly this thing, this toy thing? No, no." Uh-uh. Yeah. So my encouragement is really around your family knows you. That's fine, but find a place where people can fly your flag and encourage you. And so that's the platform that Louise has built, and her yeah. and I work quite together. And I just happen to be vocal about it, so and it's fun
1: very very nice to share that uh, with us kim and, we, and for sure will put the link we'll put the link uh below below this episode of the podcast and also it's on youtube so you can you will find oh, it, you will find it there as well so that's uh, thanks for sharing that uh, I'm, I, I would i would like to come back to um aerial works and and the, the plans for the future um kind a kind of already Gave a small hint to that that there would be something nice to share uh, in this in this podcast, and it has to do with game. Bertus, what what is it yeah. about?
0: Yeah, so so um, I regularly when people ask me advice about um, about business in general, but specific about the drone business, I talk about winners and qualifiers. So. If you have a remote operating certificate in South Africa, that's just a qualifier. If you have a remote pilot's license, that's just a qualifier. If you have a drone, that's just a qualifier. That doesn't mean you're going to be successful in the business. You have to have things that are winners, things that that you do that's, that's extra, that's above and beyond what everyone else also must have in order to just play in the space. So... Um, a, a lot of people, uh, they don't get that concept and that they just want to get into the drone business and they, they, they think that once they've done their remote pilot's license, that's the ticket to earn as much as the airline pilots. Um, that's certainly not the case. So for us, yes, we're an operator in South Africa and, and beyond here in Africa. Um, so we, we do lots of data-driven stuff. We, we have our security business, uh, drone guards. And that's fantastic. It's a very valid business. But we're always always looking for things that we can add. And because my background is as a software developer, um, I think that software is one of those things that really adds scalability. So in South Africa, we have um, probably about 10,000 game farms, and in Africa, the rest of Africa, thousands more. And one of the things that, one of the problems that uh, we have identified. Um, with the game farms is that farmers need to know how much game have they got on their farms. They either for evaluation when they want to sell it or just as a general audit every year. And and that task has been done up to now with the helicopter. So literally people sit of a helicopter and they go one, two, three, four, five, and they do it manually during the day. It's highly inaccurate. Um, It's very expensive. Um, and, uh, and during the times when game prices were still very high, uh, that was affordable, but now it isn't anymore. Yeah. So um, because of the security work that we do, we work with thermal cameras at night, and we also work not only in the cities, but we work on uh, large farms, um, game farms, and, and uh, that has timeshare on it, etc. lots of uh, properties, lots of beds, and during those experiences at night, we encounter a lot of animals. So we have um, thousands of hours of, of uh, thermal images where game is, is part of what we are seeing at night. So through computer vision software, we can then take that and we have a, a, a ton of data that we can train our algorithms with in order to then count game at night When the animals are calm, they're mostly stationary and using thermal cameras. And we can, of course, do this at a fraction of the cost uh, of what you would need if you had to have a helicopter and and that whole kit um, out there do it. And so this is a very new thing that we've added to our uh, product line, and uh, we have not launched it yet. So that's why I said to you in the beginning, this is still very, very new, but if there are people interested, knowing more about it please contact us but it's um, it's something that's an automated process you send the drone on its mission you, you predefine the mission you come back you have your your images that you've taken during that time and we then put that through wow. our processing software and we will tell you what we found and, um, and some of will... the chat... sorry go ahead.
1: yeah you will you will you will not only say how how many but you can also define what kind of animal it is.
0: Yes. So yeah. that's still a, a big challenge for us, given that the the general civil high-spec thermal camera is about 640 resolution. So the resolution is not that high. So you've got to fly pretty close to the ground um, in order to make out the various shapes. Um, so that is still a, a challenge that we have to to say um, you know exactly what type of, of animal it is. But we're getting better as we get more data and classify yeah. more data.
2: At night. So during the day, it's not a problem. You can visually, uh, you know, the, the, the machine learning is actually easier, yeah. um, specifically with antelope. So if you're defining, I mean, obviously, even at night, in thermal, you can identify an elephant from a leopard, from a lion, from a rhino. That's no problem. But when we start talking about antelope, because they have different horns, right? They have different shapes, they have different um, uh, patterns, yeah. And and uh, and, and colours, but at night you can't see what's what the horns are. Yeah. So it's so that's the challenge is is uh, and that's what we're we're solving for now. Yeah. Is the thermal but, images yeah, the, and the
0: thermal works better than during yeah. the day because during the day um, animals are running all over the place, difficult to to distinguish them because mm-hmm. they they blend in with the bush, um, yeah. etc. So at night uh, you get a very clear. Definition, and uh, we'll we'll certainly get better at it, at it as we go. Yeah.
2: So Tom, when you come to South Africa. We'll take you out on one of one of our missions to one of the uh, night flights to
1: one of the game reserves. Yeah, yeah. We'll be very excited to do that. Um, I, I'm always I'm I'm always so intrigued by the innovation of drone service providers. They always come up with this with this great idea. Uh, how to use the technology and sometimes i feel that if if people's ideas would be completely running free we would see a really nice um, revolutionary things i think but somehow i also feel that we are we are held back what what in your opinion is the biggest challenge that we need to overcome to to really make a big change what is the what, what do yeah. we need to solve
0: let him answer the second part of that, but I, but let me just add your, to the first part of your um, of that statement. So we get a lot of people phoning us and say, "I have this great idea. Why don't we do the following?" And in our experience, we find that people hear about drones and then they find solutions for problems that don't exist. So, for example, if you say, "Well, I want to go and deliver a pizza in the township," I said, but you, you, you've got to have rocks in your head. You know how expensive that is going to be. You, you have to have an expensive drone. You have to um, have a pilot that's going to control all of this. What's wrong with the guy on the scooter? Yeah. <laughs> the guy on the scooter is still the better solution, you know, so be careful not to, to find solutions for problems that don't exist.
1: It seems like there is a, um, some kind of a promising technology that entices people to find out uh, applications that are not are not required. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Exactly. Yeah,
2: but, but um, yeah, so we talk about that. We talk about that a lot. Um, but yeah, the challenge, the challenges. Um, so I mean, we all know, right, that uh, technology has overtaken regulations, right? That's just a given we know that, and and I think specifically in South Africa. So, I mean, one kind of far-fetched, not far-fetched, but kind of on one side of the the spectrum might be um, fully autonomous flight. So, fully autonomous flight makes sense because it would be cheaper, it would be more cost-effective because you wouldn't need the teams, you wouldn't necessarily need a team on-site, you know, that's kind of the idea of the drone in the box. In South Africa, we have lots of sunshine, so, you know, solar powered, it would fly triggers for the right application, maybe in security or whatever. So, you know, that's the kind of thing where we think if if it was regulated, because it's not regulated in South Africa yet, and in fact, I don't know of many countries in the world where that's a common thing yet. But on the other side of the spectrum, you know, our management of our ROC, is cumbersome, it's expensive, it needs people. So, you know, I would rather have people that are out flying, you know, missions than filling in paperwork, for example. Yeah. So I, I joked about it on another podcast or another um, chat I had the other day, where I said, you know, in South Africa, no matter whether you have you fly a 50 gram, gram drone or a nine kg gram drone, your paperwork's the same right and so they always joke in aviation you probably know this you know if your paperwork starts weighing the same as your drone then you know you're you're on the right right yeah yeah.
1: you're getting there uh,
2: i think you know and that's where we've been chatting for for a while now with you know what you guys are doing if we could convince the regulators um to embrace automating the management of our RSE, that would make our life so much better even if the regulations you know are at status quo and it would be you know kind of allowed and and embraced by the regulator to have us have you know a a digital or an online field ops manual or online you know drone battery or battery logs or you know uh, um, flight folios Uh, that that would already that would already tick one of the boxes in overcoming the challenges that
1: we, that we yeah. face. And it's, it's, I think it's there for a while already, this, this challenge. Uh, and, and, thank you for making the link uh, to, to what we do, uh, at hydronek, but we, we started a, a few years ago and we had a slogan <clears throat> that said fly more and, um, and fly more is, is, is both a promise and it's, it's also like almost like, uh, an obligation. We need to all fly more if we want to make this industry better and smarter and, and evolve faster as well. Yeah. But it's, all, it's also a promise because we need to be able to let the people that have the drones fly more by not having them fill out too many papers. That's where, that's where we have built the software. We, we do that for you so you can go yeah. fly more. And I guess that's yeah. true what you say. that I also agree with that, that technology is much faster or further down the road already than where we are there with regulations. And I, I, yeah. I guess you're, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Um, maybe one last point I wanted to address on this episode. We've been talking great and, and we've been touching a lot of stuff. But uh, Kim, you're also a co-author of a drone business book. Or two books, in fact. Yes. Tell us a bit more.
2: Yes. Thank you. Um, Louise is going to be happy and my co-authors will be happy for the mention. So thank you. Um, Yeah. So the the idea came about um, when Louise Jupp, who I mentioned earlier on, thought that she would um, highlight the professionalism of the drone industry by, um, by by creating a, a book with a collection of chapters written by, she calls them drone experts. And we've had these debates where we've said, you know, are we all experts? But I guess our debate was along the lines of if you've been in the industry and you've, you've managed to deliver a service, um, been through the regulatory process, built something you know, flew something, then you will know about it, seeing as it's a new industry, we're all learning. So, you know, are we actual experts who know everything? No, we're learning every day. But each of us had uh, a story to tell in our specific niche. So Drone Professional One came out in 2020, and I think we were 15 people. And they're from all over the world, actually. And um, my chapter in that was about drone security. And then Drone Professional 2 came out because people actually ask you, we, so, you know, we need more stories, we need more use cases. So essentially it's a connection of people in industry who know stuff about stuff um, and they've shared their stories. So this time for 2021, we had 21 authors and um i wrote specifically about our use of drone technology in the general insurance space um i loved this one because we had some local stories in south africa around um newcomers into the industry that um you know have uh, have started a manufacturing journey um and yeah so if you haven't already downloaded it I'll, I'll send you the links as well they they're uh, in Kindle version on, on Amazon. But yeah, I'm, I'm so privileged to have been part of it. It's a very cool project, actually.
1: Okay. Well, it's nice to see that. And uh, I, I'm looking forward to reading. Uh, we, I think we we have already drawn professional one, but the second one I saw coming out, haven't downloaded it yet, but I will I will su- surely uh, do that soon. Um, well, that's it. That's it for this episode, um, Kim and Bertus. Um I would really like to thank you for your time. Uh, You really touched on a lot of stuff and and varied stuff. Uh, I think you are truly one of the pioneers in the the South African drone industry. Um, And I think we learned a lot. Um, So we'll drop the the links of the things we talked about uh, in this uh, podcast as well as on our YouTube. Um, And I would like to welcome our listeners and our viewers to sign up for more, uh, there's sure going to be more podcasts, but I would like to end by thanking you again and uh, hope to talk to you soon after this one. Thank you, Tom.
2: Thank you so much, Tom. We had fun. and Thank you so much for <laughs> having us.
1: Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> drone
0: Business Talk is brought to you by Act, the drone management platform. Act makes it easy to fly professional drones in safe, legal, and profitable way. HydroNact clears the air so you can focus on your mission and fly more.